talent that hasn't been seen in hip hop ever before. You can't retire a creative genius, man. Can you retire Steve Jobs? No figure in all of music history as controversial. And I, I can't listen to him anymore. One of the greatest artists of our age. I am the number one most impactful artist of our generation. No one man should have all that power. From WBEZ Chicago, this is Making. I'm Brandon Pope. Today, the unmaking of Kanye West. Mr. West climbed industry ranks to become one of the most influential rappers of all time. But as his fame escalated, so did his chaos. Yo, Taylor, I, I'm really happy for you. I'm going to let you finish. Hear about slavery for 400 years. For 400 years? That sounds like a choice. What Kanye's doing has been incredible. The rap star lashing out, tweeting, I'm a bit sleepy tonight, but when I wake up, I am going DEFCON 3 on Jewish people. From cracks in the paint to the wall breaking down, we take you on Kanye West's destructive journey. Where does a spiral begin and end? How does an icon nosedive from grace? What caused the downfall of Kanye West? When someone comes up and says something like, I am a god, everybody says, who does he think he is? I just told you who I thought I was. A god. Think on your feet for our Fast and Curious 5K, a -a one-of-a-kind race hosted by WBEZ and the Chicago Sun-Times on Saturday, July 27th at Humboldt Park. More info and early bird registration at wbez.org slash events. Donda West died earlier this month after complications from cosmetic surgery. Eyewitness News finds Adam Singers and Spencer wearing just a few hours. It was a, a bittersweet because we lost Mama West at that time, you know, and 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 me and Ye on our on our personal level, we started to separate at that, at that moment, too. So This is Cootie Simmons. He was childhood friends with Kanye West, and he directed the documentary Genius on Netflix. He's mourning the loss of Kanye West's mother, Donda West, who passed away around the time the rapper released his third studio album, Graduation. Just, she was that, she was that grounding force, you know what I mean? She was that, that voice. You know, and 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 I believe she, and I know, not even believe, I know she still is that 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 voice. If, when you listen, I, I remember the day I turned on GCI and I heard Rhyme Fest in tears talking about Mama West had passed. This is JB Marshall, Kanye West's first manager. Immediately, I called Westside. Well, I called Kanye, um, and. He didn't answer. So I sent a text. I just said, there are no words I have. I love you. And whenever you're ready to talk, I'm here to listen, brother. And he hit back and said, thank you. Love you, my NIG. But uh, it was, I've never seen um, in real life uh, um, a mother-child relationship like that. Around when his mom died in 2007, we saw a bit of a change in Kanye West's public habits. At first, he was an outspoken rapper who called out the president on national television to criticism and praise. 
But now his provocations are getting a bit more. I, I'm really happy for you. I'm going to let you finish. But Beyonce had one of the best videos of all time. You ain't got the answers, man. You ain't got the answers. You ain't got the answers. You ain't got the answers, Sway. Provocative. And with the influence, which was power, that started to gain, you know, it's like the record power, you know, without Christ governing, as we believe, um, governing your your order and, and, uh, and ordering your steps, you know, no one man can sustain or should have to even try to sustain that much power. And maybe one bookmark of this pivot is 2013. Kanye West sits down with BBC Radio 1's Zane Lowe. You probably know the interview I'm talking about, or you don't. Either way. And I sat with him and said, Ari, I'm an inventor. And he goes on to tell me about the way it works. It's about an hour of Kanye West pitching himself to enter the fashion industry. He's not just a musician who wants some one-off deals. He's a visionary, and he deserves a collection. If you can communicate this product, you can make money off the product. Because look at Gaga. She's the creative director of Polaroid. I like some of the Gaga songs. What the fuck does she know about cameras? And this interview, to me, really feels like a premiere of this new Kanye in all his glory. A long time where you don't have to be racist anymore. It's called self-hate. It works on itself. It's like real estate of racism. Where, just like that, when someone comes up and says something like, I am a god, everybody says, who does he think he is? I just told you who I thought I was. A god. He's no longer this young, wide-eyed Chicago kid that is charming interviewers. He's dumbfounding them. He's leaving them speechless because his comments are so blunt. No one knows how to react. Isn't it the process? Isn't it the point? Y'all don't think you're really it. hearing what I'm saying. But I'm trying to. As a creative. Yeah. And the Zane Lowe stuff represents this this break for me where, oh, all of a sudden, Kanye West is recruiting me into this holy war about his foray into an industry that I don't care about. That's Justin Charity. He's a cultural commentator at The Ringer and co-host of the podcast Sound Only. I like my beautiful dark twisted fantasy. Why is this man trying to get me to buy, you know, smocks? Why is he trying to get me to dress like Link from The Legend of Zelda? Like, you know what I mean? It, yeah. felt, it felt like he was, it was going from being like, I am a god with the, the understanding being that we're talking about rap music. We're talking about the rap pantheon. We're talking about the culture to him veering into being like a rapper, but also a fashion mogul, but also, you know, a tech mogul. I, I that's that to me is when it starts to the value proposition of Kanye starts to break down a little bit. You know, these rollouts are always uh, tinged with the context. This is Robin Givan. She's a Pulitzer winning fashion critic for The Washington Post. And in 2015, she witnessed firsthand Kanye West's new value proposition. She went to Yeezy season one, Kanye West's fashion debut at New York Fashion Week. And he's in with a splash. Beyonce, Jay-Z and Rihanna are in the front row. One of the most striking things after that show was... Uh, you know, he took his bows and then he sort of 
delivered uh, a monologue in which he talked about wanting to bring creativity to the fashion industry because it was really lacking in creativity. I would say that didn't go over very well. To me, and it's the disappointing thing in general about late career Kanye, it almost feels like Kanye basically coming out and saying that he doesn't really believe in the power of music. Right. It's him basically saying that, like, he does all this other stuff, fashion, that music is insufficient to him. And that's kind of depressing. It's just like, yo, don't you guys like music? (laughs) (laughs) Remember when this was about music? It wasn't about branding. It wasn't about marketing. It wasn't about, you know, product lines. It was about the fact that the guy had a particular musical genius. And now his musical genius. And this is not just our fault. It's him. It's He's the one driving this. His musical genius is like the ninth most important thing <laughs> to talk about in modern yeah. conversations about Kanye. And no one did that to him. He did it to himself. If you go back and look at all of the social media blowups about like Kanye West said this and people are reacting... And you try to find a through line in the provocations, right? Mm-hmm. Um, there, there isn't one. Like, I remember this is also the era when the development of the meme of the Kanye rant, right? Kanye would go out, maybe in the middle of his sets, right, at these shows, and he would start, he would just pick a subject and just start snapping. I remember it being like, there's no through line here. He's just mad. He's a raging underdog by the time he's on tour for Yeezus, but he's a raging underdog who's lashing out in like nine different directions every week. That's when Kanye fandom felt like it stopped being about being a fan of the music and started feeling like it was all these little loyalty tests and loyalty oaths that you were subtly being asked to swear to a guy who was just like increasingly like overloading your commitment to him to being about everything (laughs) other than his music and that that is what i resented uh i remember going to the yeezus tour um in chicago united center and this man does a rant in auto-tune like completely (laughs) in auto-tune and he started to talk about we should have never ever let MJ play for the Wizards. It has the whole crowd just that sing that fire, for like right? three minutes. It, <laughs> actually, like a fire hook, it started to seem pretty catchy after yeah. a minute, but it did. Like it's you mentioned how like the commitment to being a Kanye West fan. There was a greater ask. All yeah, of it's like you're being jumped into a gang. Like after a point, it felt like you were being yeah. jumped into some stuff that had nothing to do with why you were originally there. Is what Kanye fandom became to me. And it was off-putting. Yeah. Unless you bought it, you that was a moment where you were like, yo, what is this? Like, I'm out. Or you you just sort of swallowed it up. And you were like, I love this. I'll follow him off a cliff. His Kanye rants take center stage during his Life of Pablo tour. And in one rant, he talks for 25 minutes about a certain reality TV star turned president-elect. I'm just saying that I know there's people here at my show that love Kanye West that also voted for Trump. 
he was hospitalized for stress and exhaustion during the tour. And days after he was released, he showed up at Trump Tower, hair dyed blonde. Just friends, just friends, and uh, it's a good man. But the height of Kanye's Trump praise has got to be when he tweeted, you don't have to agree with Trump, but the mob can't make me not love him. We are both dragon energy. He is my brother. I love everyone. I don't agree with everything anyone does. That's what makes us individuals, and we have the right to independent thought. Yes, we have the right to independent thought, and I independently think that Kanye has lost his mind. (laughs) You know what, Kanye? You You know what? You know, something I've heard to help me digest Kanye is the phrase, take him seriously, not literally. As in, his words have weight in the culture, but he's not saying them with much thought. And his Donald Trump alignment is a huge plot point when he begins to wield this political power. So what do you make of how seriously or literally we should take this moment? Yeah. Can we, well, can we talk about the drag energy thing? Is it, is it? Let's, an let's talk about it because I want to, let's take that seriously. The dragon energy thing, because to me, it's like, yeah, if you remember the, the energy around Trump 2015 through 2016, it's really about the MAGA rally, right? Like they did, in fact, have a sort of dragon energy to them, right? Like Donald Trump himself as the guy at the podium would start heckling, you know, dissenters in his audience, right? And turning the audience against them, right? Like, he didn't go to his rallies with this really tight stump speech that he stuck to in every state. The guy treated it like he was on tour doing stand-up comedy slash ranting. But absolutely, in 2015 and 2016, there, there was, to me, this resonance between the kind of energy that... Kanye was trying to cultivate by treating his concerts as just kind of a platform for him to kind of vamp and rant about the world. And the way that Trump did that, man. And you could even see similarities in the following that the two had. I mean, the the loyalty, almost blind loyalty. You're right. I think that what Kanye said, it's dra- it's dragon energy. That's why that's why I, I see myself with this guy. I think you do take him seriously. You, you, you take him literally too. Like this is a guy that he sees a lot of himself in. Um, but when we broaden that out, overall, like this, take the man seriously, not literally. How do we apply that to Kanye West? Can we take everything Kanye says seriously? Should we? Well, okay, you and I have been listening to rap music for long enough to know that there are a lot of ignorant rappers who say a lot of ignorant stuff. But look, the truth is that. The truth is, you look at Kanye and you say, well, he's a rapper, Trump is president, they're different things. But like Trump, before he was president, was the guy who hosted The Apprentice on NBC. And I think that's what makes it tricky to know where to land in the how seriously, how literally do you take Kanye question? Because he's he's a rapper now, but who knows what he could be tomorrow? I, I want to get your thoughts on this th- thing I've thought about Kanye for a little bit. I feel like a lot of Kanye West's emergence and a lot of his whole thing was being counterculture. Fast forward to now, he's looking around, everything that he was so counterculture for is now pretty popular. I mean, so now that stuff is mainstream and then Kanye looks around. He's like, oh, great. These counterculture things are now the culture. I got to find a new stick. 
I got to find something else to be counter with. And then he does the counter thing. But this time the reaction is not adoration. It's not, oh, we like that. He's, he's getting a backlash. What do you think about that? I think it's this unfortunate collision of the fact of subversiveness now having to play out in what is, frankly, just a really hyper-polarized culture, like political culture, right, in the United States. It's hard to be subversive by just making a kind of music that's a departure from, you know, a dominant form of hip-hop, a dominant form of pop, whatever, right? Now, being subversive ultimately kind of just has to play by the really narrow confines of this kind of woke versus anti-woke paradigm that everything kind of gets bottlenecked into. The, the tragedy of it is that the only way Kanye in this culture that we inhabit currently can think to be subversive is to say, well, I guess I'll just, you know, stick it to the libs, right? The paradox of it is that, like, it's kind of a lame idea and it's the only idea anyone has at this point, right? I don't know. that Nothing about that feels subversive to me. It feels like playing to the cheap seats in a lot of ways, honestly. And it just feels... That is, like, a sad way to go out. We'll be right back. Think on your feet for our Fast and Curious 5K, a -a one-of-a-kind race hosted by WBEZ and the Chicago Sun-Times on Saturday, July 27th at Humboldt Park. More info and early bird registration at wbez.org slash events. We're asking people today about their opinions on Kanye West. I'm Jewish, so usually I say no to talking on the street, but you you ask the right question. I was. I was a big fan. I went to his Donda listening party, so it hit that recent. And then he started saying really aggressive, upsetting things about Jewish people. And now I don't listen to his music. I don't know if he thinks he's being funny or if he thinks it's harmless. But he recently said something about how Jonah Hill in 21 Jump Street made him like Jewish people again. And that's just not how that works. I don't think he realizes the weight of what he's saying and the communities that it actually has an effect on. I can't listen to him. I can't listen to his music no more. It's just, I can't listen to him. He just went too far in the deep end, the whole Trump stuff and anti-Semitic stuff and black people chose slavery as an option or as an option or some shit like I mean, you randomly hear stuff about Kanye West. It's kind of like, come on, bro. Like, I know where your house, I know where you grew up at. I mean, this that ain't Chicago. That's, that's, what, that's what's heartbreaking to me. Like, one of the greatest of all time is from here, and your ass got to act like this. You're making, you making a hometown look bad. He yay, man. You can't be from the city and not rock with yay. That's crazy. Black man. I'm a black man. I'm always root for black people. Well, I play them, but I don't play them around people. A lot of times, I just want to keep it to myself. Like, because it's like, do I support this fucking idiot? You know, as a Jew, it's one of those things where it's like, I feel like I should be more infuriated or more offended than I am. I'm glad uh, he did eventually uh, backtrack, thanks to our boy Jonah Hill. Uh, (laughs) I have faith that he can do the right thing and that he can be the right person. 
He just has way too much money. He's been surrounded by way too many yes men. And, you know, he's a Gemini. I'm a Gemini. Like, I, I'll never defend him when people talk shit on him, but I'm not going to be offended by him. Kanye West's foray into far-right extremism reached a peak. Days ago, during Fashion Week in Paris, West, accompanied by his friend Candace Owens, unveiled a T-shirt that read simply, White Lives Matter. And I said, I thought the shirt was a funny shirt. I thought the idea of me wearing it was funny. And I said, Dad, what do you think it was funny? He said, just a black man stating the obvious. You know, and again, this is also after his turning up in the Oval Office during the Trump administration. This is Washington Post fashion and culture critic Robin Givan. He had begun to affiliate himself with very right-wing politics. So by the time the White Lives Matter shirt appeared, I can't even say that it was necessarily surprising as much as it was, okay, this is the culmination of this long road that we've been on. Kanye is almost like a textbook example of someone who, who has experienced, you know, sort of this manic phase. This is Kevin Coakley. He's not Kanye's doctor, but he is a counseling psychologist and researcher at the University of Michigan with a special focus on Afrocentric psychology. And he breaks down the link between internalized racism and Kanye's bipolar diagnosis, which he's been public about since 2018. One of the things that I am concerned about is anti-blackness or the sort of the internalization of anti-blackness. And so what I so what I think that is missing from you know, bipolar uh, disorder or, or it, frankly, any sort of Eurocentrically oriented mental health disorder is the recognition that for people of African descent, we have to contend with a lot of societal messages that that denigrate black people. I've been reading a lot of Dr. Christina Sharp's book um, in the wake on blackness and being. This is Jay Wortham, a culture writer for The New York Times magazine and a co-host of The Times podcast, Still Processing. You know, one of her key ideas is the ways in which the wake, as in the disruption left by a boat in water, and that we're all still caught in it, right? And those vessels, of course, were the vehicles of the transatlantic slave trade. And we still live in the aftermath of that, you know? We still live in a politic of anti-Blackness. And it's easy to get caught up in the wake and in the politics and economy of anti-Blackness, even if you are a Black person, because it's been used to shape and form the modern world, right? It actually takes more work to resist the wake. It takes more work to have a type of consciousness. I think what I'm just trying to say is it's so much bigger than Kanye. And that's the one thing that allows me to have a little bit of compassion for him, even though I still find his views to be abhorrent and unforgivable. And in my mind, you know, he is just no longer welcome in my mind. And I also understand that, you know, I think it's it's a real challenge to live in a world, a postmodern world that has been completely defined by the politics of anti-Blackness. Because as Christina Sharp says in the book, it's just the weather. It's just the climate. And once you start seeing things that way, it's like Terminator vision. You just kind of can't unsee it. And so I really wish for people like Kanye the gift of that vision. 
And then Ye's white supremacist musings turned into something much more insidious, violent hate speech. Wes wrote, I'm going to use you as an example to show the Jewish people that told you to call me that no one can threaten or influence me. Uh, I'm going to go DEFCON 3 on Jewish people. You guys have toyed with me and tried to blackball anyone. Uh, whoever opposes your agenda. You're not Hitler. You're not a Nazi. You don't deserve to be called that and demonized. Well, I I see I I see good things about Hitler also. Every human being has something of value that they brought to the table, especially Hitler. This is a whole new level for Ye. And we started grasping for explanations to digest his extremism. We talked to people he grew up with. Here's DJ Mustafa Rocks, who did Kanye's first mixtape. You know, something that's been spiraling around him lately is his comments on Jewish people um, and comments about Hitler and things like that. You don't know why that is? Why, why is that? Because he wanted out of that contract with Adidas, and he didn't want to have to pay to do it. So you think that was his way of getting out? That was the method to the yeah, madness? Yeah, So you think he was playing a long game in that sense? Man, please. Kanye is smart. <laughs> he was playing. I told you, Kanye is playing chess, not checkers. Even still? Even still. That publicity. Publicity. But is it good publicity? That's, I guess that's, that's my All thing, All publicity is good publicity. When he makes comments like that, I mean, people get offended, correct? Mm-hmm. Isn't that bad? Like, isn't that a bad thing that he's hurting it's people? It's a bad statement, but yeah. it opens up a conversation. <laughs> I just, I just wonder: Are those conversations even? Do they need to? Like, I get, I get wanting to have you feel some. Like dialogue. he don't need to do that. I, I'm just. I can see it in your face. Yeah, like what conversation? <laughs> what, what conversation needed to be had? Like, I don't think there was ever a conversation needed about why anti-Semitism is bad, but we're having it. Because of him, right? Exactly. But think about it. If he never said that, we wouldn't have nothing to talk about, would we? Well, I, I would add this, too, though. Like, words do have power. Yeah. When Kanye says something, you know, like that, it can inflame hateful people that and incite them to do bad things. Is there any sense that maybe the genie's too far out of the bottle with the strategy Kanye's got of being a provocateur that perhaps maybe— it, it, there should be some responsibility because he he does have a large platform in what he says. I was gonna I was gonna say that that you're just saying that Kanye needs to take more responsibility about the things he says because he might be hurting somebody or you know provoking negative thoughts. But I can't speak for Kanye as far as why he does the stuff. I just know he provokes thought. And he gets people talking. We also can't speak for Kanye. We tried to reach him for comment about this and other questions we had, but were unable to get in touch. I summarized the point that Mustafa Rocks made here for Jay Wortham at the New York Times, that Kanye's divisive comments are a thought-out game of chess while all of us are just playing checkers. What's the end goal? What's the end goal, though? I'm just sort of like, well, then what's the checkmate? Also, is the game just human lives? Like, is the mm. game just this idea that what people say and what they do doesn't have a material impact? Like, as Black people, we don't know that to be true. Like, that's that's the part that's so wild to me. But, you know, the truth of that is, though, people don't see 
white supremacy as a threat, right? People don't see that kind of white terrorism because even though Kanye is black, he is practicing and he's working with age old tools of white terrorism. You know what I mean? That is the logic of that madness. And people don't think it's actually dangerous. They don't believe it. And and there just have been centuries of work and propaganda to convince us that this stuff is harmless or not real or too wild to be true. And he's benefiting off of that. But that's actually why it makes it so dangerous. There's a loop that I think a lot of Kanye commentators can get stuck in, including myself. We try to get in his head and determine a cause But it doesn't matter why. It's not the intention that matters anymore. It's the impact. But it's it's interesting that so much of the anti-Semitism we see today is about Jewish power, control, or influence. This is Holly Huffnagel. She's the director of combating anti-Semitism at the American Jewish Committee. And she does a good job of explaining how specifically anti-Semitism works in society and how Ye wields it. Can you clarify for us or kind of bring to light what exactly is harmful about statements about Jewish control? Absolutely. So it's very interesting because some anti-Semitic statements might come across as, as, as a positive. I, there's always this, this borderline crossing where you go from saying Jews are wealthy and even, even saying a statement like that as a collective, it's not true because there are many Jews who live below the poverty line, even in our, our country, but saying something like Jews are wealthy to Jews are greedy or, you know, Jews have influence in, in the media to Jews control the media. What's important from a from a Jewish history perspective is that these accusations or stereotypes about Jewish control or power were used in perverse and deadly ways. And then it went to, well, because they control the media, you know, we don't have agency uh, in in Germany, for instance, or because Jews are, are powerful, they're only looking out for themselves and uh, we won't be successful until we, you know, quote unquote, rid ourselves of the Jewish, you know, insert menace, insert vermin, insert whatever dehumanizing quality or characteristic that was given to, to the Jewish people. How much of this is about a lack of education? Because these are all things that you're sharing that I just I don't think a lot of people know. Many in America, they don't know what anti-Semitism looks like. They can see the, swa- the Nazi swastika. They can see the, the Heil Hitler salutes and they say, OK, that's hatred. I get that. That's anti-Semitism. But they don't understand that conspiratorial element um, because it's a little more amorphous and it's, it's built on envy, resentment, scapegoating the other. So what are the consequences of Kanye West's actions and statements? What are we seeing play out after this public anti-Semitism? I think the first thing that's really important to put in context is the fact that the Jewish community was facing heightened anti-Semitism in our country that was becoming more violent and more open for for several years. So it wasn't just out of the blue, all of a sudden anti-Semitism is in the minds of the Jewish community. But a few things that are worth noting. The first is that Kanye's words had direct offline impact almost immediately. So there's been at least 30 to 40 anti-Semitic incidents, attacks, vandalism, graffiti that have been directly connected uh, to Kanye West uh, since since October. And and we saw these banners over the freeway in Los Angeles saying Kanye was, you know, is right about about the Jews. Uh, there was a whole uh, campaign by a white supremacist group called the Groypers who were actually had tables like at campuses and different public spaces saying, yay is right, change my mind. Basically, it was just using these incidents with Ye as a platform for them to espouse their own Holocaust denial, their own love of of Adolf Hitler. 
Around this time, NBA player Kyrie Irving publicized a movie with anti-Semitic conspiracy theories rehashing tensions between the black and Jewish community. And Kanye West is putting a specific group in a really tough spot, and that's black Jewish people. What was it like for you? What did you experience or witness when Kanye West went on his anti-Semitic tirade? My first thought was, here it comes. <laughs> That's Jared Jackson. He's the executive director of Jews in All Hues, a nonprofit group for Jewish people of color. We sat down with him and black Jewish journalist Teresa Stovall, and they gave us a lesson on what this moment means, not just for anti-Semitism, but combating white supremacy as a whole. You know, when you use anti-blackness, you're using white supremacy. When you're using anti-Semitism, you're using white supremacy. White supremacy isn't going to kill itself. And when a lot of people think about black and Jewish, you know, the and is actually an or. When I, when I think black and Jewish, I either think of my sisters and I, or Lisa Bonet, or Doja Cat, or any of the other black and Jewish celebrities or people in my life who are an embodiment of not only love, but communities of two diasporas or more. You know, it's it's frustrating, I would have to say, more than anything. This is Teresa Stovall, freelance journalist for The Forward. Because, you know, a few years ago, before Kanye's latest, um, we saw some prominent Jewish folks, not of color, um, kind of making accusations, are African-Americans the new face of anti-Semitism? I'm like, wait, what? Hold up. <laughs> you are not going to pin that on us. Okay. We, especially those of us who are black and those of us who are at the intersection of black and Jewish, we know very full well the possible repercussions and ramifications of those kinds of accusations in the media, be they well-founded or not. We live in the crosshairs of all of that all the time. White supremacy, we all know, is brilliant. It is brilliant. It is not to be underestimated. And if we can use Kanye Ye as a teachable moment and turn a negative into a positive, to look at how these two groups, Black Americans and Jewish Americans, have been set up by white supremacy, how we have been set up to be in opposition to each other, and to look at the ways that we are programmed to be in conflict, literally, and how white supremacy just feeds it and feeds it and feeds it, right? All right, guys, if I'm going to be honest and real with you, this show has been a journey for me. We've talked to Ye's friends. We've talked to Kanye experts, people he's hurt. So where do we go now? What can be learned from this experience with Kanye? We posed that question to Justin Charity at The Ringer. Well, okay, if we we're trying to to draw a lesson, right? When there were still, I would say, even in media, right, people who are sort of like, no, no, you guys don't understand. Like Kanye's a genius, and this is just him doing genius stuff, right? And I remember it's when I felt like a true dissident when I was sort of being critical of Kanye, and my thought was always that, like, look. I love him as a musician, but every time you listen to one of these 
90 minute Zane Lowrance and you're just like, this guy is a genius. This guy is the avatar of the entire concept of black genius. Like, why why do we have to do this? Like you're you're taking a guy who's got a lot of things going on and you're kind of letting him hide behind this this solitary idea of genius. You are building him up in a way that like on the one hand is understandable because music makes us do stuff like that about musicians that we love and I get it, but also you can love Kanye West music without writing yourself into this kind of corner where you have built him up so hard that when he turns around and stabs you like this, you're not sort of like, wow, okay, how did I not see this coming? Like you, you just don't, just don't build people up this high. Right. And I'm not saying that I'm not saying that with the sense of don't build him up this high because he is overrated, you know, and his music ain't that good. No, I'm saying even when Kanye's music is that good, people just got to like keep a level head about it. Right. And I think the lesson is just that, like, yo, you don't really have to put people up that high. When, when Kanye tells you I am a god, you, you don't have to humor him. <laughs> you know what I mean? That's what it was. I think we humored him too hard. There, was, there were a lot of off-ramps much earlier than the MAGA stuff or the InfoWars. There were a lot of off-ramps that people could have taken and they didn't take them. And, all, and the lesson I would draw is like maybe take some off-ramps a little earlier next time. The Making and Unmaking of Kanye West was produced by Hina Srivastava and edited by Justin Boole. I'm your host, Brandon Pope. Our executive producer is Brendan Benizak. Special thanks to Kevin Dawson, Tracy Brown, and Joe Dassault for help on the show. More episodes are on the way, so be sure to press the subscribe button, and we'll see you soon. Thanks for listening to the news live on WBEZ and NPR. The WBEZ stream sounds great in the kitchen on your smart speaker and anywhere on the WBEZ app. Listen every day.